0: acting to big news, big news that we've been anticipating with more changes on the Ohio State coaching staff. News on Thursday that linebackers coach Al Washington and former defensive coordinator and secondary coach Kerry Combs will not be back with the Buckeyes, and in are Perry Eliano, who apparently is going to coach the safeties coming from the defensive backfield at Cincinnati, and Tim Walton coming from the Jacksonville Jaguars, 25 years NFL and college, and a former Ohio State player, which certainly makes it interesting. He's apparently going to coach the corners. So it's two secondary hires. Seems like Jim Knowles is going to wind up coaching the linebackers, Larry Johnson staying on defensive line. And then at the moment, we assume that Parker Fleming remains in that special teams role. So this looks like the new defensive staff. We're going to touch briefly on the new guys. But as we were just saying before the pod, We're going to be talking about Perry Aliano and Tim Walton from, from now until as long as they're on the staff. So you're going to get plenty on them. This is it for Al Washington and Kerry Combs, who in their own way were two like very interesting, important, often talked about assistant coaches here at Ohio State, especially Kerry Combs. So we're going to do a lot of sort of why, how did we get to this point? without Washington and Kerry Combs, and what do we think of Ryan Day and his decision-making here? And then you'll get the full background on the two new guys uh, as we continue to move forward. I do think, guys, if I remember correctly, I think the over-under that we set on new assistant coaches was three and a half. Is was what we said, I think, a couple months ago, and we had to pick over or under. I can't remember whether we picked over or under, but it's four. Right now, Justin Fry for Greg Studrowa, Jim Knowles in, Nat Barnes out, and now these two here today. Nathan, the fact that this happened today, that it is no more Washington, no more Combs, and you know, two very well-qualified, experienced guys coming in instead, were you surprised by that, or is this pretty much what you expected?
1: I don't know if it's what I expected, but I'm not surprised by it, if that makes sense. I felt like, as we've talked about a couple of times, as we've been sort of speculating and trying to follow what's going to happen next, that it made sense to me that they were going to move to a situation where there were two secondary coaches. Once you did that. And if you're hiring two from the outside, Kerry Combs is not coming back. Then somebody else has to go. And if Jim Knowles is coach linebackers, then you sort of get into a situation where Al Washington, you're playing musical chairs and he's left without one a little bit. Not that that you didn't have, but don't, I don't think that's
0: what it was. I don't think they wanted to hire guys in the musical chairs. And Ryan Daylight is like, oh, I really wanted to keep out Washington. No, no, the no. Musical like, He didn't want those guys back anymore. He wanted new people in,
1: right? Right, right. So, yes. So, all I'm saying is that it doesn't surprise me that they have that, that either of those guys are gone because um, there were enough issues with the entire defense that anyone could plausibly have have been pushed aside probably with the exception of Larry Johnson, but as we saw, he's the only one staying. Everybody else is moving on and they are bringing in new blood for the majority of these positions. Steven expected little surprising. Where are you on this?
2: No, I I think I was over. I think I said it'd be over three and a half when we did that pod. And this just kind of makes sense that Larry Johnson is the only defensive coach back. We knew there was going to be a new defensive coordinator and we knew with Kerry Combs, it was going to come down to, are you willing to take a pay cut to stay here or not? Well, his answer was no. So, okay, cool. We're going to go find some other guys to do your job for you. And without Washington, it's, I mean, a lot's happened in that room over the past calendar year, whether, I mean, he's, he's been a decent recruiter, even if there is a caveat of his best recruits have been from in-state. He's been a decent recruiter, but the combination of the linebackers haven't been great. The last, this past year, uh, the cave Pope situation, the Dallas Gantt situation, it was just, at some point, you just got to press the reset button in that room, um, and and this it just seemed like inevitable that Al Washington wasn't going to be back on the staff.
0: We don't know that Kerry Combs was. You have to take a pay cut if you want to stay, right? We don't know that. We don't know why he left. He might have. They might have just said, "There's not a job for you here anymore," right?
2: I mean, if he would have just decided to stay in a pay cut, take a pay cut this year, and just be the cornerbacks coach, I think they would have taken it back, given what it's. Reputation is, but we don't no know. Is- we don't know that we're not reporting that, right? No. no.
0: Okay, so so we don't know because also, I mean, if Ryan Day said, "Hey, like it's just not going to work to have somebody who was elevated and now you're demoted and stay," it's just going to be too awkward. It could have been that. It could have been Ryan Day begging Carrie Combs to stay, and Carrie Combs saying, "Like I'm not staying if I'm not calling the calling the place. I don't. i even if you offer me the same money, I'm not staying." Right? Like we don't know. All we know is that he's gone. I hope we'll find out at some point exactly what transpired but but we don't know the motivations and as has been pointed out nathan i think you pointed this out it needs to be pointed out Kerry combs his contract expired and was not renewed al washington has a year left on his deal so al washington is then like technically fired he has a contract that they're not having him keep yeah carrie combs is not renewed but in the end it's just all semantics it's whether you stay or you don't i don't really care about the semantics of whether why whether a guy's here or not he's not here Let's talk briefly on Tim Walton and Perry Aliano. Tim Walton's 50. Perry Aliano is 43. Let's do Tim Walton first. Coming in to coach the corners, I actually think there are some interesting comparisons between Tim Walton and Kerry Combs because Tim Walton has been a defensive coordinator briefly in his past. Both, I think, one year at Memphis. I wrote it down. One year at Miami. He was coordinator at Miami? He was. I believe so. I believe so. Definitely at Memphis it. in 2013 and then with the St. Louis Rams uh, for one year. And he was fired after one year being the defensive coordinator of the St. Louis Rams. And since then he has been a position coach in the NFL for the last six years, he's been a position coach in the NFL. So he is a guy again, by my count, he has a couple sort of in between years on his resume, but I have him with 13 years in college, 11 years in the NFL as a full-time assistant. Some other times when he was a probably an analyst or whatever, somewhere. So this is a guy who did like sort of was moving up, got up to coordinator, didn't stick as coordinator, and now has remained in the profession as a position coach, which might be Kerry Combs's path from here on out, right? That if you're getting Kerry Combs as a position coach, there's his Kerry Combs' record as a position coach is impeccable. Right, He just is not here anymore because he didn't cut it as a coordinator. Tim Walton didn't last as a coordinator. I don't know the specifics, the ins and outs. I know you look at the Rams stuff, and it's like their defense in 2013 was middle of the pack, and Jeff Fisher fired him. I don't know. But his resume as a position coach in the secondary is pretty darn good. He's been a lot of really good places at both levels in the past 25 years, and he's an alum. He played at Ohio State. Nathan, feels like we're checking a lot of boxes with Tim Walton. Good experience, 50 years old, NFL, alum. Like, that's – you're trying to – If I don't know. I'm going to be honest. I He was not on my radar, but he should have been. He's like a longtime coach who played at Ohio State. It's like, okay, well, that sounds pretty good. And, again, this guy's pretty accomplished.
1: Yeah and just to clarify uh he was the defensive coordinator for one season at Miami. He was there for three seasons, promoted his last year according to multiple sources I'm seeing. And then the year with the Rams, um Jeff Fisher was coaching the Rams. Fisher didn't retain him and hired Greg Williams who's like a long time NFL coach in behind him Browns fans probably remember him. But he Greg Williams never actually then coached with the Rams cuz he was involved in the whole uh Saints uh, bounty scandal and got like suspended immediately and just never coached. So he, he, his one chance to be a coordinator in the NFL so far got really fouled up for um, weird reasons, but yes, uh, I I agree with everything you said that this is a guy who you already said, it checks a lot of boxes. I mean, for people, we've heard from a lot of fans who said that they think that there needed to be maybe more of a Ohio state flavor on the staff. And I kind of pushed back on that saying that you need to find the, the coaches first, you need to find a guy who knows how to coach. And if he has Ohio State connections, then that's a bonus. And that would seem to maybe be the case here. A guy who has has been around a lot, has been in a lot of different systems, but also has that connection to Ohio State and has a connection to a time at Ohio State where defense was, you know, the thing, right? I mean, the, the silver bullets are almost in their heyday, right? Up through the 80s, 90s. I think he was, a, he was a captain on the 93 team that was a co-champion. So, you know, it's a it's a guy who has a, a connection to the past, but who obviously is, is still very relevant in the present. With And it is coming. Remember, we've said multiple times, this, this connection that we feel like is there, what do you want to say, intellectually for Ryan Day with the NFL and this is a, the one staff change that is coming directly from the NFL.
0: Yes, right. That Ryan Day seems to like that. It makes a lot of sense. We made a big deal of it when Kerry Combs came back from the NFL. It's like, hey, go and learn all this stuff in the NFL. And you know, Tim Walton's been doing it in the NFL for, again, more than a decade now. So that is a very good part of the resume. I mean, I will say that you can't hire any individual coach just because he's an alum. And you can't have any particular position where when a thing comes up, you say, well, no matter what, we're going to hire an alum, right? But in, while you're piecing together a 10 person staff, I think it is one of the things that is worth thinking about that, right? I mean, you don't have to have it, but now that you have, you have Brian Hartline on offense, and now you bring in Tim Walton on defense. And that's two guys who have a little history here. I think it is a plus. I absolutely think it is a plus. And so, you know, if I were Ryan day, I wouldn't. Yeah. I wouldn't commit myself at any one time to it, but I'd constantly be on the lookout for it. So I do like that part of the Tim Walton hire. And it's going to coach cornerbacks. Apparently Perry Eliano coming from Cincinnati again, feels like Kerry Combs in a way. Cause Kerry Combs got hired to Ohio state from Cincinnati. But Perry Eliano is not an Ohio guy. He played high school football in Texas at Stephen F. Austin, started his career as a grad assistant there, and then was coaching in Texas for a long time. He actually came north with Mike Jinks, who was hired as the Bowling Green coach, I think, six or seven years ago. Mike Jinks, I think, was the running backs coach at Texas Tech. And he had been a high school coach when Perry Eliano played high school football. So they were connected a little bit. Perry Alano came to Bowling Green with Mike Jinks. Mike Jinks did not last very long. That tenure did not go very well. He wound up at New Mexico for a couple of years and then has been at Cincinnati for the last two years. But one of the things I like about this hire, Stephen, is Texas recruiting ties. This guy obviously knows Texas, which on the list of things we talked about, you know, once you hire Jim, Jim Knowles to go in and diagram stuff, you better have great recruiters everywhere else on your staff a guy with some Texas ties isn't a bad idea
2: I think this might be if there's gonna if you're gonna be make an outrageous prediction of which of these hires right now could be the biggest home run I think this might be the one because I mean we just saw what he did at at Cincinnati with Sauce Gardner and Kobe Bryant I mean one of those guys won the Thorpe and they both might sneak into the first round this year that's a pretty big resume to have when you're at Cincinnati I understand the recruiting you know resume right now isn't what it should be but look at the places he's coached, he hasn't necessarily had that chance. But in his 2021 class, he just went and got a guy named J.Q. Hardaway, a safety a four-star safety who was from the same high school that five-star 2023 cornerback A.J. Harris is at. So the relationships are already there. He just didn't have the backing because of the program. He was at to go get those guys. So it just seems like this guy's on a trajectory of – Once he gets to a blue blood program, he's going to start recruiting at a blue blood level. And he's got resources all over the place. As you mentioned, he's from Texas. He can go down to the SEC country and recruit. And he just proved he can develop corners at a high level.
0: So I do think when you think of these guys in tandem, right, one guy has great NFL experience and has been around. And I don't want to say I don't know how to say this, but like Tim Walton isn't like on the way up necessarily anymore. He's been a coordinator a couple of times now has been a position coach for a long time. He's 50. That's 50 is not that old. It's not like he's on the backside, but it sounds like there's some part of this that like, he might be excited to coach at Ohio State, right? And I don't know that he's pick, taking this job because he's thinking to himself, well, this will make me a head coach in three years. Maybe he is. Maybe they're all thinking that way. That's great. But where Tim Walton is, you're getting a boatload of experience with the bonus of being a guy who had played at Ohio State and you have that NFL stuff. Then with Perry Eliano, he's 43. He's only seven years younger, but it does feel like maybe you're catching a guy on the way up, to your point, Stephen, who just hasn't had the chance to coach at a place like this yet. But if you're going to have ties to an area, right? So one guy, and I don't think Tim Walton's from Ohio, but he played at Ohio State. But then Perry Eliano was just coaching down the road in Ohio, but has deep roots in another part of the country where Ohio State would like to recruit, which is nice. But when you look at, again, the way that Kobe Bryant and Sauce Gardner played the last two years, clearly there's a development part of Perry Aliano that is excellent. I mean, he just coached two guys, neither of whom were five-star recruits, to to play an all-American level. And their secondary across the board for Cincinnati was awesome this year. And so if he's coming to coach the safeties, again, they ran a five- DB defense at Cincinnati, if that's what Ohio State's going to run now with Jim Knowles. I mean, there's just, it feels like Eliano has a resume from a development and recruiting standpoint that is really good. But, Stephen, the idea that you have not seen the best of this guy yet because he's been fighting. Man, when you start off, Stephen F. Austin and Texas San Antonio and Bowling Green and New Mexico, and then you get to Cincinnati. And now you get, I mean, just went to the playoff, man. Ohio State wasn't in the playoff. But now you get to a blue blood, man. This guy's been fighting for 20 years to get to a job like this. And you think to yourself, man, there might even be more there. I I'd like the Eliano hire from all those sides.
2: Yeah, my, my point exactly. It seemed like I said before, it's the he's headed on a trajectory in the up way. And this is that's why I say like if there's going to be a home run hire out of all of these. From an assistant coach standpoint, not coordinator standpoint, Noles needs to be a home run. That's just where we're at. But from the actual position coaches, I think Eliano has a chance to, in a world where we're talking about, is the cornerback recruiting going to fall off again? Is this defensive back recruiting going to fall off again because Kerry Combs is gone? I think this type of hire, you can more comfortably say, no, I think they'll be fine. And I and do I think, think it's again- interesting that –
0: just, Nathan, I was going to say, in pairing them, right? I think it's fair to think yes. of them as a pair, That Walton yeah, yeah. coming from the NFL doesn't mean Walton can't recruit. It just means he hasn't for a decade. Mm-hmm. Now you're getting a guy who's in the midst of recruiting, again, Nathan, I think as a pair, where where one of the guys is this, the other guy is that, and you end up checking collectively almost every box collectively.
1: Yeah. And, and I think a guy coming from the NFL who has never been a coach or, or a college coach or um, sometimes you've seen I think sometimes where NFL coaches come back to college. That seems like an awkward fit for me. But this guy has had been a college coach for a long time. and He knows, I think, what recruiting is about. And you also get to, you know, walk in and have that and tell NFL stories and talk about NFL players and and have uh, some real um Respect from the from prospects when you when you go to talk to them about things like that. I also think it's interesting that both, uh, you know, Jim Knowles. What was the reason Oklahoma State was so good this year? It's because of Jim Knowles' defense. I mean, that was the foundation of why that team was a top ten team and a team that kind of went into the end of the season with a chance to be in the playoff. And you know, why was Cincinnati so good? I'm going to say it was only Perry Ariano, obviously um Harry Eliano I should say I really have really been struggling with that name actually all day <laughs> maybe because it was just the first one and so many piled up after that but but his what he did with that cornerback room was obviously uh, an integral part into why that defense was so good and Cincinnati's defense is a large part of why it was a playoff team so you've got those two solutions coming into a team a program which wasn't a playoff team this year because of its defense. I just think that it's interesting that they're making those sort of trade-offs as a solution to the problem.
0: No, I mean, the idea that, again, Cincinnati made the playoff because of its defense, and the best part of its defense was the cornerbacks, and you just hired the guy who coached those cornerbacks. It's like, that's cool. That'll work. So, you know, again, I think, I think both resumes are good. And again, they're not, from what we can tell so far, they're not Ryan Day's friends. This is not, right? There's no indication of connections. Hey, I worked with the guy. He worked with Justin Fry before. There's a connection there. He had worked with Jeff Halfley, right? And that's, that's fine. That happens a lot. But I wanted him to go, like, get the best guys. And I think these, Steven, these two guys just feel like they're just here because they're the best guys. And they've got each in their own way a connection to Ohio state, but they don't have a connection to Ryan day. And they, uh, they are established at what they do.
2: Even with the Tim Wald hire, the him playing at Ohio state seems like a cherry on top of a guy. You should have just went and got anyway. It's not, Oh, he's from Ohio state. Let's go get that guy. Like it seemed to be the case, you know, with Kerry Combs. that seemed to be the first thing on the checklist. This is like, Oh, and on top of all that, he's from here. Oh yeah. We're definitely bringing him in Perry Eliano. I mean, We just, you guys just ran down exactly why he's here. It's, (laughs) he fired all his friends to go do what he should have done the first time. And that's cool. Which is fine. Your first head... coaching staff as a head coach at any level it's fine if you want to hire some of your friends get guys in here that you can trust and have your back a little bit but now you're into the groove of things and you need to go out there and get the best guy regardless if you know him or not if that means firing your friends like a guy like Al Washington who you'd worked with before and who you probably told at one point hey if I am ever a head coach you're going to be on my first staff to go get guys that you absolutely need to have this is called this is growth as a head coach for, for Ryan Day
0: and all things being equal I've talked about the lack of diversity at times on Ohio State's staff is. He hired two black coaches. So Tim Walton and Perry Eliano are, I think their resumes are unimpeachable. And I think they are, I don't know, day one, like thumbs up for me. What do we know? Right. Who knows? But compared to the times when we've looked at Parker Fleming or Corey Dennis or I mean, mostly them. And or when and like <laughs> even you can say Bill Davis, Nathan. When you talk about hiring an NFL coach who's never coached in college and you wonder, oh, I wonder where that fit's gonna be. That's what Bill Davis was. He had never coached in college. Then he came here and was like, I'm not fit, I'm not cut out to do this. This is not my thing. And then he realized everybody realized it and he was gone. So um, you know, I'm very critical when I don't like hires. And so I I feel like what he's what Ryan Day has done this offseason, um feels pretty pretty good right now you know and i think and, and all four guys are different right jim knowles was kind of obvious you go throw money at it justin fry you know there was a little bit of a connection there but also justin fry's resume nobody's arguing with justin fry's resume and that he was working for chip kelly but he he's absolutely qualified to be the offensive line coach at ohio state and then these two guys that ryan doesn't know who are absolutely qualified to hold the positions they're going to hold with the buckeyes we'll come back talk about our washington Talk about Kerry Combs. Do that next on Buckeye Talk. All right, we're going to save Kerry Combs to the end. Let's do a little Al Washington here. Man, life comes at you fast sometimes. I mean, we are not even 12 months removed from, oh, my God, Al Washington has an offer to be the Tennessee defensive coordinator. What are we going to do? What's going to happen? Holy moly. He should have taken it. I mean, he should have taken it.
1: I think it was March 13th, I think, was the day he signed his contract extension. And, and even more than that, I was looking for something I just wrote and posted to the site. I was looking for a photo to go along with it. And there's a photo that we have of Ryan Day, like embracing Al Washington and Chase Young is walking off the field too after the 2019 Michigan game. And so it was just a day of me thinking like, man, just how, how, how recently all of that seemed to be going in like a storybook direction and Al Washington was – on his way to something, and he, he's probably still on his way to bigger things later on. But to ex- exactly to have this all kind of fall apart from the Ohio State standpoint in the past ten months has been um, a been a bit of a whiplash effect for him. Probably, I do feel like this this starts with recruiting.
0: As much as the linebacker play has not been up to snuff, some of it's the same stuff we talked about with Greg Studrawa. That you know, if your recruiting is a little iffy then you better be developing because then once you hit a development speed bump and you can't fall back on the recruiting now, where are you Steven? I feel like we talked about this when Desan McCullough decommitted and I get it. He's going to play for his dad and going to play with his brother at Indiana. I get it, but they never replaced him in the class. They didn't get, was it Sean? What's the guy's name from Virginia? Sean Murphy. Murphy, Yeah. They didn't go get another guy like that. They wind up with um, C.J. Hicks and Gabe Powers as the linebackers in this class. Right. They're both Ohio guys who I don't know what you can't assume C.J. Hicks, but I'm going to go ahead and assume that
2: they'd be coming here regardless of who the assistant coach was.
0: Did Al Washington in the end ever land a linebacker, an exceptional linebacker recruit that wouldn't have come here regardless of who the coach was? I don't I don't know that he did.
2: Cody Simon. He's from Jersey. Um, I think that's the closest one. And uh, I mean, he was decent this year, but clearly, you know, he'll be better next year, given that this was his first year playing meaningful snaps. I think the thing without Washington is that, you know, all of his positional recruiting is typically done within state, but he has a long resume of like being the side guy whether it's for guys like Travion Henderson, obviously because he had started that relationship at Michigan when he was trying to get get Travion to be a linebacker or a defensive player, at least. And before Travion decided that, no, I'm going to be one of the best running backs in the country. Uh, He played a big role in why Jordan Hancock flipped from Clemson. Clemson. So he does have that on his resume too, but yes, when it boils down to your actual room, you got a lot of guys who probably come here anyway, as long as the, position coach is competent in Ohio state's doing what Ohio state's been doing for the past 20 years here. And so it, it's like you take his success with a grain of salt in that way. And when you combine that with, listen, it's not your fault. The 2018 recruiting class was a bunch of guys who were misses, but you also didn't make the best of that situation, which even adds more of a, more of a negative to what your, what your tenure here was like.
0: I do where I'm a crazy person and I get it, but I do think sometimes on this podcast, we try to not leap to conclusions and not to say, well, that happened. That was awful. That guy should be out on his butt. But Nathan, when we now evaluate the way the Kayvon Pope situation went down, the fact that Dallas then also transferred, the fact that Taraji Mitchell basically lost his job by the end of the year. Al Washington inherited that group, but in terms of development, and then also, i, I it sort of feels like Heyvon Pope and Al Washington do have a good relationship, but yet that happened. That was Al Washington's room that had a very public and odd sideline blowup. I'm not saying that's why Al Washington's not back, but I think the cumulative effect of your room's leaking, none of those older guys developed, into a good starter for this team. And then the play wasn't maybe up to snuff, right? I don't know if just like, hey, it's guys that you didn't recruit that you inherited. Bill Davis gave you these guys. And then the play wasn't great. I don't know if that is enough, but you add in the recruiting and you add in a little bit of like the, yeah, it was kind of a goofy year for linebackers. And I think you get here. Is that a fair, now that it's happened,
1: is that fair to see it that way? it it just it does seem like a cumulative thing kind of like to use a terrible analogy like death by a thousand cuts like it's just a little bit of everything that adds up in a different way than it does in some of the other departures where, you know, Kerry Combs, it's a big thing. The defensive coordinator thing didn't work out. Greg your job. seemed like a big thing, although there may be a couple of things involved as far as the recruiting and, and the offensive line play. And for, and with Washington though, because everything you want to bring up as a criticism, you can kind of hedge it. You can kind of say, yeah, I mean, the cave on Pope thing, but sometimes a guy just loses it. And I don't know how much it's up to an individual position coach to have like, to be able to control that. Um, and yes, that 2018 class didn't, uh, develop under Washington, but it may have also just been a case of those guys weren't what they were supposed to be to begin with uh, because they weren't, you know, they, and they were, they were blocked for a large part of their career by guys who were developing under Washington. I mean, you know, the, the linebacker play in 2020 was arguably like the most reliable part of that defense, I mean, maybe defensive tackle, but, but one of those two units, right? So like it everything that you can criticize about Washington, I almost feel like there was, a positive on the other side. Yes, they didn't, you know, get somebody to replace Dasan McCullough in that class, but they also got two like top 50 linebackers. And like, once you have locked up those two spots and you had Dasan McCullough for a long period of that, I don't know who else that you're supposed to necessarily get to replace that. That's like obvious and available that late in the process. So it's just like everything I can, you can hedge every criticism of Washington, which is why I was saying before that, um, when you bring in Jim Knowles as a defensive coordinator who has coached linebackers in the past that gave you the flexibility and made Al Washington a little bit expendable, right? Cause then if you needed to hire multiple secondary coaches, there wasn't a huge argument to keep Al Washington at that point.
0: Yeah. I still don't buy that really because like, I just think if they wanted to keep Al Washington,
1: they would keep Al Washington. I just think the structure uh, that they How, would you to hire... keep How would you keep Al Washington with this staff if you need to hire two defensive coaches, two defensive Dem- back coaches? Demote Parker Fleming
0: and split up special teams.
1: Yeah, I guess so. That This so, seems like something that Ryan Day wasn't prepared to do.
0: So, like, but if you pick Parker Fleming, like, you pick Parker Fleming, whose credentials are nothing over Al Washington, right? Then that what does that say? Like, it says that Al Washington is not doing a good enough job. So, like, I don't, I do not, just the idea that, like, Al Washington got squeezed by this, logistics I just doesn't sound right to me I don't know to be squeezed by yeah
1: I don't know if I I don't want I apologize if that's what it sounds like I'm saying because I don't think that's necessarily what I'm saying but I am saying that he had not established himself especially in this past year to the point where you had to keep him on the staff and when you hired Jim Knowles who has assistant has has a background as a linebackers coach that gave you the flexibility to then hire the two defensive back coaches
0: but you, he also has a contract. Like he is getting fired. That's the thing too. I mean, it's not just like, well, right, we'll let right.
1: Peter. So I do unless think, he gets another job. I mean, they haven't hired. They haven't na- said anything officially. So technically, it may not end up being a if he gets another job in the next whatever. By the time they hire, you know what I'm saying? Well, he'll have as far as what job they'll actually to say that. on paper, right?
0: Well, yeah, they just said they didn't fire out Ed Warner. I,
1: say, I right, don't care. It right, doesn't matter.
0: Right, Ed Warner right. didn't get fired. He just chose to go from being Ohio State's offensive coordinator to Minnesota's offensive line coach. just picked it yeah okay whatever right so but i do think the opposite side of this Stephen, is al washington seems like a great freaking dude but other than that like what's what's the thing that al washington did best like we said like well like to your point nathan i think you're right it's like well the room well the recruiting well the development it's like okay but what was he great at and i think that's where it's like well you kind of wanted Al Washington to be great. He is a young coach on his way up. His dad played for Ohio State, was wearing a leather jacket in one of the Buckeye Retalkables that we watched. Grew up in Columbus, left Michigan to come to Ohio State. Had an co- innate connection to both the program and the head coach. What are the chances that you find a coach who grew up in Columbus as the son of a Buckeye who went to Boston College where Ryan Day was working? Al Washington was like as connected to Ryan day at Ohio state as anybody you can find. And on top of that, it seemed like he was a great freaking dude. But then Steven, like when you got down to brass tacks about like what I, and then I, like, I like to evaluate things like this. What is it that you do? Well, well let's not look for mistakes. Let's not look for errors and shortcomings. What do you do best? Like I just based on results, Steven, I, I don't know what the answer is. And I think the fact that he's not going to be here is part of the testament to the fact that I'm not sure what the answer to that question
2: is. There's almost a part of this that is, you know, where's his Devin Bush? I mean, cause he had one of those at Michigan. And even if Ryan day tore that offense to shreds in 2018, Devin Bush is still, was still one of the better linebackers in the country. And it's not one of the better linebackers in the NFL. I mean, where's that at? There's no Where's that development process for somebody, you know, and we, you've had a chance now because the first class you recruited here was in year two. So there was a chance for a Cody Simon to, or even a Mitchell Melton, if he had even healthy to flash that, and they didn't really do that. So you're not doing it from a development standpoint, you're not doing it there. And as we just talked about with the recruiting, I mean, it's, you're, the guys you got live 90 minutes from you. That's they're supposed to come here. So I think you're right. It's a combination of yes, you're a jack of all trades, but you're not a master of anything to where like we absolutely have to keep you around because that one skill set that you have is so much more valuable than what anybody else can bring to the table.
1: Yeah, Doug, you've talked a lot about the expendability of assistant coaches, and that was kind of the point that I was trying to get to. That I feel like as an assistant coach, your job or your your job security is based on proving yourself to be indispensable. Like it's going to like Brian Hartline is indispensable. Like Ohio State can't lose Brian Hartline unless he is going off to some obvious better position. And I don't feel like Al Washington was in that spot anymore, which just meant that when they, I think Al Washington could be on the staff next year and be a good linebackers coach. I don't think he's like a failure as a college football coach. I don't think, you know what I'm saying? But I think when, as, as Ryan Day reflected on how this staff has to fit together the best for Ohio State next year, Keeping right, keeping out Washington as linebackers coach was not indispensable.
0: I think think it's a smart way to say it. And I do think the thing in the end is like, it sort of doesn't matter like what's fair to any individual person. It's like, what's best for the program? I don't know, man. And, you know, he'll have a job somewhere else. And that's the thing about this, that again, thank you for bringing up how often I talk about assistant coaches are dispensable because and I, I don't mean that facetiously because it is, I think it applies here in a lot of ways. Cause you can see all this stuff. of, of one of two ways. It's like, well, Doug, if they're so dispensable, then how come you're firing guys and bringing in new ones? I thought it didn't matter who, well, you know, like I thought it didn't matter who the assistant coaches were, but yet here they failed defensively and had to get new assistant coaches. And it's like, you can view it either way. It's like Perry Eliano is a great hire, a fit in a lot of ways but I also think there's 15 Perry Elianos. like if Perry Eliano said, no, they just would have gone to the next Perry Eliano and gotten him. So um, Al Washington really fit. As we said, he fit like in every possible way. And he's a very likable
1: person and it didn't work. <laughs> so, But I think here's another way to put it. If, if Jim Knowles were a defensive backs coach,
2: would Al Washington still be on the staff? No. You don't think so? They would have went and got the Perry Eliano of linebacker coaches.
0: Yeah. Maybe. I, 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 th- I think there's enough. You can get to where you want to get to, and you can figure stuff out. And guys, I mean, guys do weird stuff all the time. Like I said, you know, Stan Drayton was a running backs coach at Florida his whole life and came to Ohio State, and Jim Trussell wanted him. He made him a receivers coach for a year, and then you figure it out, right? So, um, yeah, that, that I would say I, I don't think that would be true. So, okay, let's do Kerry Combs. Harry Combs, obviously, a much longer tenure at Ohio, excuse me, at Ohio State. Um, great guy. So think about this. It's rough business, right? I, Washington, and Greg Stoudrawa, and Harry Combs, and Matt Barnes, right? All indications, we've never had any reason to believe that all of them weren't anything other than good people. But it's not the good people game. Good people get you to four and eight, right? So that's just the way it is. But Carrick at his in his own way, in his own time, Nathan, was indispensable. He absolutely was indispensable. And then got elevated above probably his success level, at least in this situation. Doesn't mean he'll never be a defensive coordinator again. But you could have viewed him as indispensable as a cornerbacks coach. Let's have this part of the conversation first, though. We talked all offseason since the move happened. Do you think he could be back in the reduced role? Do you think he could be back? I guess I leaned no, or even thought no, just because it's hard to get demoted for both sides. I just didn't really see it. i never, I guess I would have never said it was impossible, but I would have guessed, no, he won't be back. Steven, just the idea that officially now, Kerry Combs is not back. What do you think?
2: It's not that big of a surprise. I mean, given how things worked out and then the first time we got to talk to him post all of that and the way he was speaking up there, he didn't. I think I texted it to he didn't sound like a guy who was going to be back on the staff the next year. He sounded like a guy who was being professional about things, going to finish the season the right way and then go see what his other options are out there just because you can't come back from this situation now as we got closer and closer to the end of the season and closer and closer to the day that they actually have to make this decision of whether or not he's coming back or not. I think, you know, there was enough out there that if you wanted to leave out, you know, five to 10% chance that he might come back just because he is an Ohio guy who had spent so much time here and might just feel like I took my shot as a defensive coordinator. It didn't work. And I'm happy in this role. Sure. You can do that. You can leave a 10% window open for that. But I think ultimately um, given how this has all gone really the past two years, it just seemed like the writing was on the wall that he was not going to be back on the staff.
0: Were you is that where you were in the end Nathan that it just seemed like it probably won't happen.
1: Yeah, I'm just the it's just a vibe thing trying to talk to him after the Rose Bowl and he didn't seem to, you know, I feel like he could have said, uh, well, I hope I hope I'm back next year. I want to be back next year. Even Matt Barnes had said that, you know, within hours of signing his name to become the Memphis defensive coordinator or whatever. Uh and and he wasn't going there. It just the, the vibe seemed to be that like you're saying, it would have been tough, I think, to come back. And, and well, I'll just leave it at that, that I think you're right. That I think just from a personal standpoint, I think that's tough. It, it's hard to, I, I've seen other guys do it, like in our profession, like you're on a college beat and then you get bumped down to like, you know, Covering high schools when papers used to still cover high schools, like that's the and to stay at the same paper that's that's tough and it's like it can people can get resentful and you can it applies to probably any profession right so um I I think Kerry Combs is a is a better man than most when it comes to those sorts of things but I think it still would have been tough and and more most importantly I think he's going to have good options to coach real football this fall you know where there's an opening <laughs> it yeah. would fit ideally. Here I don't Cincinnati know. I would love to have him. I mean, I don't know. He's going to trade. I
0: mean, he started at Cincinnati. His heart's in Cincinnati. He's Cincinnati. He's as Cincinnati as it gets, man. Long time successful high school coach in the Cincinnati area. Leaves high school. Basically like the only place I would go. the only place I'd leave Coleraine for is the University of Cincinnati. Gets hired at Cincinnati. Then Urban Meyer making a staff hire somebody else to be the corners coach. That guy bails in like a week. And it's like, Oh, they're going to hire this corners coach from Cincinnati. We were like, Coombs is it Coombs? I remember the, the, the week, I mean, every now and then you'll still catch a Coombs, someone calling him a Coombs. I remember like the, the, the early days of like, Oh, okay. is it Kerry Coombs. It's like, he showed up and he's like, it's, it's Carrie Coombs. Like not mad, but just enthusiastic. And then all of a sudden it's like, Oh, like once you know, Carrie Coombs, it's like, how did you ever not know this guy? Listen, You guys know this. I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I'm terrible at it. I'm terrible at it. I'm not friends with coaches and agents and GMs and getting all the background info. I'm not, I'm just not. I'm just, I'm bad at it and I'm not terribly interested in it. So it frees me up to like, just tell you what I think because I'm not trying to protect any relationships because I don't really have many relationships but also I'm terrible at it. So that's that. I got on Christmas Day, I got one message, one text from somebody that like I'm not friends with and wasn't and I'm not related to that said Merry Christmas. And maybe it was just a group text, but still it was from Kerry Combs. So that's like Kerry Combs, like says Merry Christmas, like that's like he's an excellent dude, just like most just like these guys are. Not every Ohio state assistant I've ever covered is an excellent dude. I don't want to make it seem like, Oh, I just think every assistant coach who I find completely replaceable is a great person No, 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 no. There's a lot of dingleberries that have come through here as well. He's not, he's great. He's completely, everything that you see in public is what he is in private. And I missed the news conference when he talked, I think it was the bye week he talked, right? because I was out of town during the bye week. So I missed that. And I like just had not, I was sort of like the first time anybody had like face-to-face time with him since the demotion. He had not been out and out very much. And I saw him after the Michigan State game walk into the bus. And I was just like, hey, Kerry, I haven't seen you in a while. How you doing? And he was just like, Doug, I'm doing great. You know, now listen, they had just completely shut down (laughs) the top 10 team. So everybody was doing great. But that didn't dissipate. Right. I'm sure it did at times. And he admitted it did at times. It was tough. But this guy is Cincinnati to the core, but embraced being a Buckeye through and through. And again, um, he really, Nate, Stephen, he really made an impact on this program from a recruiting standpoint in a way that you hope assist, this is there's a, a, a model of what you want an assistant coach to be like as a recruiter. And I think in, in the modern era, I think you look at Larry Johnson and the way that he creates a destination for for players to want to come for a guy who he knows he's going to teach them great technique, make them better, get them ready for the NFL, and be a person that they can trust. Larry Johnson has created that, and so when he goes in at the end and wants to close a guy, he does it with absolute respect and realness, top to bottom, and that is what you want. Brian Hartline has established a room that every receiver in the country wants to be part of. He sets a standard of excellence. He doesn't promise anything. He picks and chooses who he wants to be here. He gets guys lined up on the assembly line. He he deals with the fact that you're not going to play when you're young, but I'm going to develop you and get you ready. And you look at Kerry Combs and the absolute enthusiasm, the flag planting of Kerry Combs. He could go almost anywhere in the country and plant that flag and convey Enthusiasm that wasn't fake. And then when they got here, he taught them technique, he got them ready. I think those are, and there's others. Luke was really good. Luke Feckel was really good in his own way. There have been other really good recruiters here. Of course, Ryan Day was a great recruiter as an assistant. But Larry Johnson, Brian Hartline, and Kerry Combs just, I think, set a standard here. And again, in the book, you know, I talked to Kerry when they when Urban Meyer got here and he was like, Hey, how come Michigan teeps is taking guys out of Ohio and we don't get any guys in Detroit? Why is that? And he looked at Kerry Combs and was like, let's let's try that. And he sent Kerry Combs to Detroit. And Kerry Combs came back with Mike Weber and Damon Webb and Michael Jordan. And if you send Kerry Combs somewhere, he's going to come back with some good players. So I think we all know that. But, Stephen, like sometimes guys are just special as recruiters. And I think Kerry Combs, not I think, we all think. Every Ohio State fan, Kerry Combs is one of those guys.
2: Combs is the exception to your rule about assistant coaches. And you could today was a prime example of that because the moment the news came out that they weren't retaining him, I mean, Twitter turned into you know, a memorial <laughs> service for Kerry Combs and how awesome he is by all his former players. There aren't that many assistant coaches in the country who have that level of respect from players. It just so happens that, to your point, Ohio State's had th- two of them at the same time, and now it looks like they've got another, on, another one in Brian Hartline who's clearly showing to be of you know, that that cloth as well. But, yeah, that's what it comes down to is – Kerry Combs is the exception to all of the rules about what you should feel about assistant coaches because he's one of the few people where it's like if a recruit says, I'm really only coming here before because of that guy, you're okay with it because you know that that means that recruit's probably going to end up being a first-round draft pick and a Thorpe Award you know, in the conversation for the Thorpe, one of the better corners in the country.
1: When it's why he might be indispensable in some ways. I mean, let's not forget, as as poorly as his – tenure as defensive coordinator went or as far below expectations if as it fell one of the problems with this defense especially in 2020 and even somewhat this year was recruiting deficiencies that happened after the first time he left so how state's got to find a way for that not to happen now that he's leaving again i think there's a lot on just as there is uh, for Justin Fry to prove that he can recruit at the level that is needed now that they're moving on from Greg Stadrawa, these guys that to bring it in to coach the secondary have to prove that they can recruit at a level that doesn't plummet off of what uh, Kerry Combs has done the way that it did the last time he left.
0: When Urban Meyer brought in Taver Johnson to replace Kerry Combs when he left, and Taver had been here under Jim Trestle for a really long time, like it did not go well. Like Taver Johnson's recruiting that year was not great. And and you noticed it. And so, um, yeah, I mean, it's it, it is one of these things I don't want to like it's not fair. You can't just. Well, you got to do this because this guy did it. But we are fair or not going to judge the secondary recruiting of Tim Walton and Perry Eliano off the peaks of the Kerry Combs standard. And, and- that's just the way it's going to be. And and then the development part of that, too, because not every guy he developed was, you know, Eli Apple was a really high recruit, but like, and Damon Webb was a really high recruit. Marshawn Lattimore was a really high recruit. But, you know, Denzel Ward was in the 300s, and Kerry Combs helped mm-hmm. turn him into the number four pick in the draft. So, not and that's, and that's just an Ohio guy, it's just an Ordonia okay. kid. So, it's the development and recruiting combination that he did get a lot of five stars that he developed. And he got some three stars that he developed, but the total package of Kerry Combs in bringing in that talent and developing it is what Walton and Eliano will be judged against.
1: And I want to make sure I'm, I'm not necessarily saying that they have to do what Kerry Combs did in his heyday, because, you know, every starter during that six year period going to the NFL or however many first rounders there were in that short period, like five, six guys, whatever it was, like, that's hard to replicate. I don't think you have to necessarily hit that level, but it wasn't like that was a and then Tavor Johnson was B like it plummeted like it can't plummet again. You've got to find a way to sustain the talent level that Ohio State is used to bringing in. It doesn't have to be at those the highest of the peaks, but you can't have valleys.
2: No, but at the same time, I think that peak might be much more important now than it was when Kerry Collins was here because. He did that. He was turning guys in the first rounders at a time where the majority of their season was against teams who didn't throw the ball competently at all. And yet those guys still ended up being first rounders and NFL rookie of the years and all pro type guys. I mean, the Big Ten's getting better at quarterback. And we're reaching a point here where Ohio State, and we keep talking about it. Do you want to have a defense that prepares you for the playoff or a defense that prepares you for the Big Ten? You got to stop the pass. So I actually don't agree with the idea that they need to be the peak version of Kerry Combs. No, I think they do. I think they do need to have, I'm not saying it has to be a top 10 pick every year, but there should be guys on your roster at all time that at bare minimum are all big 10 level corners. It, they, they should automatically be in the conversation. Where you go, who's the best secondary in the big 10. It should just be Ohio state. If they want to do what they want to do here. But then also a side note, I think what Tavor Johnson and Kerry Combs have also showed us is stop going backwards. When you want to make hires, stop bringing people back here. Cause it's yeah, two for you're over two in that working.
0: That's, a, that's an interesting point. And, for Tim Walton coming as the cornerbacks coach, Jordan Hancock, Jekyll Johnson and Denzel Burke, especially that's yeah. a pretty good, darn, pretty darn good place to start as opposed to, you know, maybe what Al Washington was left. And Al Washington mm-hmm. again had that Pete Warner, yeah. older guy, Malik yeah. Harrison group. But like, this is, these guys haven't really played. Bur- Burke's obviously played, but like Hancock and Jekyll Johnson never played, but they're going to, play for Tim Walton and Tim Walton's gonna be glad that they're playing for him and that's gonna matter. The the thing about recruiting, I mean everybody knows this, it is bazonkers, right? Like Bradley Robey was the first first rounder for Kerry Combs. Bradley Roby was gonna go to Vanderbilt and be a receiver. And then his mom was friends with Cam Hayward's mom. And Cam Hayward's mom was like, hey, you know, you should go get Bradley Roby. And Jim Trestle was like, what? And then they went and got Bradley Roby. And then all the Trestle stuff happens. And then Kerry Combs comes in and then like has a year or two with Bradley Roby. And Bradley Roby is awesome. And it's like, he's a first rounder to Kerry Combs. Now Kerry Combs gets credit for that. But the the path that got Bradley Roby to Ohio State didn't have anything to do with like recruiting acumen. It was like crazy. Now, you have to take opportunities when they present themselves, which is part of the recruiting. You have to know when to trust people, when to take a risk, when to roll the dice, who to listen to, who you don't listen to. But, you know, but then again, you know, on Conley, he's a guy from down the road in Ohio, turns into a first rounder. Eli Apple, that was a big get. Marshawn Lattimore, Marshawn Lattimore, I think, would have come for anybody, right? He's, he's Ted Ginn Sr.'s guy. It's the Glenville Pipeline. The idea of Marshawn Latimer going anywhere other than Ohio State would have been crazy, right? He was going to come to Ohio State probably no matter what, even though Bama was up there sniffing around like crazy. That was one of the first big things we did when we went digital. We did Breaking Bama, and it was about how, as a series, and we were talking about how Alabama was sniffing around Marshawn Latimer and Eric Smith at Glenville. He was always going to come here. And then he had two terrible years because of injuries, and then he's one of the best quarterbacks in America right now. But that's in Kerry Combs' room, right? Kerry Combs helped create an environment where Marshawn Lattimore eventually succeeded, even if it wasn't the greatest recruiting job in the world to get him here. And even if he only had really one good year at Ohio State, Kerry Combs ends up getting credit for that. And that's okay because you get blamed for the stuff that maybe isn't your fault either. So in you the know end, what's, you know what's Kerry crazy?
2: pretty good though. He never actually developed a five-star to a 1st router because he wasn't here for the majority of Jeff Okuda's career. Bradley Roby was in the 650s. Gary Ann Conley was like 153. And Marshawn Mar- Lattimore is the closest, being that he was, like, I think he was like 55 or something like that. So yeah. that's even more to the point of, he's all over the spectrum with it. You already mentioned what Zinzell Ward was. In this, and He was the highest pick of any Kerry Combs player. So I, mean, that's, that's, I just find that funny. You've never, the, the, the one type of recruit that you should be developing into a first rounder, you never actually got did until you were out the door.
0: Well, because as you said, Jeff Okuda, Sort of like committed to Kerry Combs, and then like Kerry Combs and like left. left, and Jeff Okuda was like, "What?" Um, but yeah. it all worked out, and um, I mean, it's just it's it's the way it happens, right? So we understand how this happens, but it's not linear. It's not linear. But you look at the totality of it when somebody is a wrong uh, around a program. As long as Kerry Combs was, you look at the totality of it, and the totality of it is pretty good. And then in the end, right, he comes back. Clark Phillips has flipped already, but Cam Martinez delays signing, right? Delays from, excuse me, December till February. And while he's getting iffy there, Kerry Combs gets back. They send Kerry Combs to Michigan and like lock this guy down. And Kerry Combs goes to Michigan and reassures Cam Martinez. And Cam Martinez signs with Ohio State. So it it was one of those things. I like the guys, Stephen, And I think Combs and Johnson fit this especially, right? Tyreek Smith was ready to go, I think, somewhere else. And then Larry Johnson came in and sealed the deal. The guys that it's like, hey, listen, we've got a guy that is interested in us, but he's on the fence or he's wavering or he's uncertain about something. Can you go seal it? Not the head coach, go lock it down, but the position coach, the relationship. Can you go seal it? And I do think Kerry Combs and Larry Johnson over time have both proven to be those guys, and that's really valuable.
2: And that's what becomes the question now is, as Larry Johnson gets older, obviously, Larry can still do that whenever he feels like it. I mean, he might just be doing it right now, that out. but who of these new assistants can be that closer on defense, especially in the secondary between Walton and Eliano? One of those guys needs to be able to do that. And is it going to be the old guy or the guy who clearly looks like he's on an uptick in you know, where his career is headed?
0: And it is funny to think about we might be doing a podcast in seven years and talking about Perry Aliano and has he, how he's one of the most important assistants in Ohio State history. And mm-hmm. we'll be looking back on this day where we were like, how do you say his last name? But again, they certainly are dispensable, but guys can make themselves indispensable, but they are the exception, not the rule. Kerry Combs was one of those guys at times during his career here at Ohio State. And I do think, I mean, he's, he's sixty. I think he'll keep coaching again. He's so, uh, again, not to, not that we're saying some guys are like, I don't care about my family. I just care about my career. That's not what we're saying. But Kerry Combs like is very like, he's always like posting, not always, but he'll post a photo of the family at a holiday and he has a bunch of grandkids. And a lot of them are generally rooted in the Cincinnati area. The idea of him, like just winding up back at Cincinnati, um, does not at all sound crazy to me, but he also might have NFL offers because he's a good position coach. All right, we'll wrap this up. What do we think about Ryan Day and a story about Ryan Day that came out on Thursday morning? Next on Buckeye Talk. Doug Nathan, Stephen, 614-350-3315. Those are the text messages. Two-week free trial to sign up there. $3.99 a month after that. Um, I hope you guys know what the text messages are by now. All right. Let's talk about what these hirings, did we learn anything about Ryan Day? Nathan, just big picture. If this is it, I I think we think this is it. Who knows? But these would be the four changes. What do we think of Ryan Day? What do we learn about Ryan
1: Day from these four staff moves? Great question. Uh, I think it told us this is a shift from the changes they'd made in recent years. You know, the closest thing they have to, I mean, obviously Justin Fry, there's, there's personal connections there, but really in all three of these defensive changes, there's none of that. That wasn't just reaching, wasn't promoting from the QC ranks or the GA ranks. It wasn't um, pulling guys that he knew above um, guys. He did kind of what we sort of laid out the, the challenge to do, right? Which is go out and find the, the best fits, regardless of whether you know them or not. And, and build those relationships and and get those guys to come here and buy into your vision and and then Ohio State, I guess, you know, come up with the, the necessary commitments to make that happen, especially in Jim Knowles' case. So I think that he deserves some benefit of the doubt for having done that. Now it's just a matter of how does it work. I think there's also the fact that there are some guys here who he clearly had like personal relationships with and probably some affection for, whether that's Kerry Combs, whether that's Al Washington. Guys that were on this either were on this staff already in Greg to case before he became the head coach or who came back here to help him get this started as head coach that he was, you know, um, ready to cut ties with when the time came. And in that case, like ruthlessness doesn't sound like the right word to use in this case with those sort of personal relationships, but it is sort of encompassing that sort of that aspect of his personality that we've been sort of said is, is probably a critical one for Ohio state to get all the way back to where it wants to go. I
0: do think it is different letting a guy go that you hired, as opposed to letting a guy go that you inherited. He inherited Greg Sudrawa even though, he worked alongside him, and they were both assistants. And I'm sure they were friendly, but it's like, why well, didn't I? I don't know. What do you want me to do? Like, especially Al Washington, because again, but care comes too. Carey comes to a good job in the NFL and came back. Al Washington was it Michigan? Michigan just made the playoff, and he left Michigan to come here to his hometown job to work for a guy he knew. And he's gone in three years, Stephen. That is, that is, you know, not that we're surprised, but. That's the business, man. That's not show friends. That's show business.
2: That's ruthless. This isn't the word. I think the word is necessary. The, the Al Washington one especially is you know, answering the question of is Ryan Day willing to do what's necessary? And moving on from Al Washington was a necessary step. Not more, not more than like the Kerry Combs one was or Craig Sutrawa, but that's the one where it's like, all right, you're close to a guy that's your first, you know, one of the first people you hired as a as a head coach here. You've had a relationship with him that's I'm pretty sure Al Washington was a player the first time around when Ryan Day was at Boston College. So that relationship is a little deeper than just like, oh, we're friends in the coaching world. Like coached you, dude. So we have a great relationship here, but you're not getting the job done. And Either, you know, I keep you on the staff and you keep not getting the job done and it eventually ends with me losing my job or I just get rid of you now and write this train.
1: I also think that Ryan Day has probably changed a little bit in these past three years. Still a relatively young guy. He was a head coach for the first time. He's gone through some experiences for the first time. One of those, and I don't want to like overplay this. But a year ago, when all this out Washington stuff went down, he came out later and was like, "Hey, I didn't really like how public that got and how it went. um, It caused us a lot of headaches, whatever. However you want to say that. So I don't know if that like soured their relationship. But it's just one of those. It's just like one more small cut in that relationship that might have led to the separation that that ended up happening, even though you know just one year into signing that extension. So it it, part of this is the Ryan Day who took this job in 2019, late 2018, wouldn't have made some of these same decisions but he's different now having gone through what he's gone through a lot a lot has happened since he took that whistle from urban meyer in december 2018 or january 2019 whenever that was
0: so bill rabinowitz from the columbus dispatch wrote a story that appeared thursday morning that was about ryan day and the nfl and high up in that story it said according to sources ryan day may consider nfl offers and it then laid out sort of uh, facts of the case of the situation and kudos to bill for writing that story um a lot of what appeared in that story is along the lines of things that i've heard in the last month i think there's a couple things at play here i think um i think ryan Day's frustrated about like the michigan loss and that people are you know reacting negatively to ohio state losing to its rival for the first time in a decade that's a new experience for him And I think that he's felt that Um, I think he wants a raise. I think the Mel Tucker and James Franklin raises are real. And he looks at that and thinks, well, I'm better than my team beats those teams. Maybe I should get a raise too. Um, I think that the NIL stuff is, and all like the, the changing nature of college football um, I think is, in there somewhere, and and you know, I think there's a general vibe out there. I think that people are now saying college jobs are tougher than NFL jobs, and from the re- recruiting aspects, people I think have always said that. In the NFL you kind of just get to coach football; you don't have to do the other stuff. But especially with managing the transfer portal, managing NIL, it feels like people are saying maybe more than they have before hey some of these best college coaches might really be eyeing the nfl and thinking like man that's kind of an easier life now the other side of that is nfl coaches get fired like every three years without even thinking about it and if you're good in college you're going to be there for a long time so and it's easier to be good in college because they're at a good program because there's no parity so you're automatically going to win six or seven games and then just you know do the rest so i do think that matters but i also think you know um Ryan day has now as all good coaches do merged his way of doing things with the Ohio state way of doing things. And we now view Ohio state as this passing program that recruits quarterbacks and receivers on a really high level. And I think there's some part of it that's like, you know, like it's not, that's not something that has to stick with Ohio state forever. It's certainly that wasn't what Ohio state had ever been in its history before. And it kind of changed its identity because it hired an offensive head coach who's pretty good at doing the offensive thing. And if you think, you know, I don't know, it's like would Ohio state be able to keep that rolling if Ryan day moved on? So I just think there's like, I think to me, this is probably mostly just probably Ryan day, wants a raise and this is the kind of thing and somebody on Ryan day's side decided to put that out there in a way that led to a story that cited sources. Again, good job by Bill Rabinowitz for writing it. I think that's mostly what it is. If I was an Ohio state fan and, and I read that, I, I'm trying to tell you like, don't be completely freaked out by it. Don't think that Ryan day is like leaving for the NFL tomorrow. But the thing in there, Nathan, that I did find the most interesting from Bill's story was the idea that like Ohio state, I think he's he used some paraphrasing of like, is reluctant so far to like, to give Ryan day a raise. That was like, I, I didn't, I didn't know that, that, cause usually Gene Smith usually in stuff like this is like, we think the Ohio state head coach should be one of the five highest paid head coaches. And like, we'll figure it out. And usually that's been enough since Gene got here, there has not really been much public display on either side of getting a raise. It just would get announced and it would happen and you'd get a little boost and they would structure and the guy's doing a good job. So we gave him a bump to keep it competitive. He's not the Ohio state coach. Maybe Ohio state doesn't think that guy should make what Nick Saban makes, but Ohio state's one of the top five programs. Our head coach would want to be one of the top five paid guys. So again, I had kind of heard some of this stuff, but I just sort of filed it away under the, eh. They'll work it out because they always have. So, Nathan, the fact that it got, even though with it, nobody was on the record, that it got into a story, I wouldn't freak out if it was an Ohio State fan, but I don't think it's nothing, right? That it is at very least public negotiating, public, I don't want to say posturing, but somebody somewhere well, decided I'm- to talk to somebody at a level that led to a story about the fact that Ryan Day would consider NFL offers.
1: I mean, I don't know that posturing isn't the right word. I mean, what uh, what other leverage does Ryan Day have right now? Real leverage besides trying to get some public support behind this. You know what I mean? Unless and, and that would become sort of a really tricky game of chicken, I guess, that Ohio State wants to play like how much do you want to call his bluff? that he won't get an NFL offer at this point. I was just looking over a list of the highest paid NFL coaches, Matt rule, who day is friends with left Baylor to go to Carolina. And I think he made 8.5 million. So he's like one of the tip, top 10 highest paid coaches in the NFL. So that, that level of offer would potentially be on the table if Ryan day pursued that, but you know, you're coming off of your least successful year You just hired a whole coaching staff, which doesn't exactly indicate that you've got one foot out the door because you probably had to, I think, would make some sort of assurances to those guys, right, that you're not going to up and split at the first opportunity, uh, by which I mean like days or weeks later. So, yeah, I think it is a it is a well-timed thing, but it's also maybe the first time because Ryan Day started here at like, I think, 4.5 million, which wouldn't have been up there among the highest paid people in the game. But he's a first time head coach, young guy. And And I think there were escalators. There were escalators in the original contract, right? Correct. And he's already with with what he's restructured. He was already set to make at the time that he signed his extension, his 7.5, 7.6, whatever he's scheduled to make for this year would have been. I think there were only five people making more or were scheduled to make more for 2022. Now that's what has changed that these other, co- these other schools have, however you want to say it, either overreacted or um, nobly acted to lock up people like Mel Tucker long-term and, and have overpaid or whatever, however you want to say it, handsomely rewarded him, but that's pushed him farther down that salary list. So, is how much of it is a respect thing, how much of it is a truly tangible thing that doesn't get used against you in recruiting in some way that people are going to, you know, I, I don't know. I think that dynamic probably does exist once in a while. So it's something to keep an eye on, but the same thing, I, I agree with you that I don't think it necessarily is a sign that Ryan Day is is has one foot out the door, but I think it is a sign that that he doesn't necessarily have a lot of leverage and needed to sort of maybe try to get the public opinion on, uh, p- to apply some pressure here. Yeah. I
2: mean, from a performance-based situation, Ryan Day actually does not deserve a raise this year. He accomplished none of the goals that he was supposed to accomplish this year. But based on what the market is right now, because of how all these other coaches are get paid, he does deserve a raise, which is how we end up in a situation like this, where they're basically playing chicken with each other.
0: It's just funny to me. It's like the season's not even. Season's been over for like ten days, and they've been busy like hiring a new staff. The idea that it's not like, my I I wouldn't say that like Ohio State is like dragging its feet on Orion Day raise or anything, right? Which is why I was just a little surprised, and I have no idea who Bill talked to, and and I'm just saying like if you read that story, it's like okay, well if it's citing sources, is it citing Ohio? Is it Ohio State administrative sources that are saying all these things about why Ryan Day might leave for the NFL? Or is it probably people more associated on Ryan Day's side of things, which is like why agents exist and that kind of thing is right to, is to make these points. So that's all I'm saying. It certainly, certainly feels like to me that it would be more uh, the Ryan Day side of the opinion that is being expressed. In a story like that, and I think Bill's story did say, you know, neither day nor Gene Smith commented on the story. So I don't know who he talked to, but uh, kudos to Bill for writing that. Um, I was not surprised by its content, but I was surprised by its existence in a public setting because Trestle's agent was like a dentist. <laughs> it, was, it was like this Youngstown dentist was, I think that's right, was Jim Trestle's agent. So it was always like, oh, what's the Jim Trestle? It's like, oh, he's got to get, I mean, it was like, it was nothing. It was practically like Woody, whatever. Woody's like, oh, I don't know. Pay me what you want to pay me. And if I don't do a good job, I'll give you some money back. I mean, it was, feels like ancient times compared to now. And and then Urban has the same agent that Ryan Day does, which is Trace Armstrong, which is who's a guy who was briefly linked to, maybe taking over the bears and maybe bringing along Ryan day. So again, sometimes agents do stuff, but they usually do stuff for a reason. I don't think he's leaving. I I was at in the press box of the national title game. I had say at least three national college football writers ask me what's up with Ryan day. And is he maybe going to leave? And I told every single one of them, I'll be surprised if he never coaches in the NFL, but I'll be surprised if he leaves now. I just think there's too many things in his life. I don't think he's a comp that, that would keep him here. I don't think he's accomplished what he wants to accomplish at Ohio state. I don't think he would want to go out like this to me. If you leave now, you're a footnote, you're a footnote in Ohio state history. You're like, Oh, there's, there's that three-year guy in between urban and whoever comes next. right? That I just think he wants to be more than that. And whatever he's leaving for is going to be there. It's going to be there later. And I just think with his family and his kids, this fits him now. But I think if there's some level of um, frustration with the current state of things, particularly related to um, losing to Michigan and the tornado, in Tim May's words, of what's happening in college football, you know, could you almost do a thing you never would have thought you would do and leave? You know, I guess I'm not at zero. I guess I'm not at zero, but I'm at a really low percentage of, of thinking at the moment that that would happen. OK, new coaches we will try to be best friends with them so they can tell us stuff and we'll text it to you. Actually, Nathan and Steven can. I'm not going to. Um, but I'll be probably none of them are coming directly from Michigan, so I'm not going to give them grill them like I did Greg Madison. Um, and they all seem qualified, so I'm not, no, not going to yeah. view them like I've viewed Corey Dennis and Parker Fleming, you who can, clearly. Can you imagine if they had hired a quarterbacks coach who had the resume of either Tim Walton or Perry Aliano or Justin Fry? If they had hired a quarterbacks coach or replaced Greg Madison with a coach with the resumes of these guys, it would have been like awesome, great. I'm not here. Just-
2: didn't hire a quarterbacks coach because your head coach is a quarterbacks guru. And Lincoln Riley just spent the last five years of his life, not having a quarterbacks coach, but to the point of grilling a coach for leaving a program, you can grill Eliano. It's like, so you were just had a program who made the playoff and you decided to come to a program who didn't make the playoff. Why would somebody do that?
0: I'll tell you, I was looking at, I was reading a story about Perry Eliano when he was at, i sorry, I get confused. I don't mean a disrespectful. I don't know if it was New Mexico or New Mexico state. But he was at one of those programs and Bob Davey got fired at the end of, I think, his last year there. And Perry Eliana was actually named like the acting head coach briefly. I almost think was like the off-season head coach to keep the recruiting going. But I read a story where they were like talking about, oh, the salaries of the assistants and stuff. He was making 140 grand there. And that was like three years ago. So I didn't find I don't know what he was making at Cincinnati. But this dude, again, he's been grinded. And when I say that, co- that assistant coaches are replaceable, I don't mean to disrespect the grind that these guys go through to move up in their profession. It's just that that's part of the deal, and they know it. But this guy, I mean, he's jumping. He's he's getting. I'm sure he's getting a large raise to come to Ohio State. And and the idea that he just went to the playoff, but he also has been working his whole life to get an opportunity like this. So best of luck to those guys. We'll have a lot more from them. We'll be talking to these new guys at some point. We don't know when. We don't think it's going to be this week, but maybe it'll be next week. We'll have to see. We think this is it for the coaching changes, but again, who knows? Okay. I don't know what we're doing for the Friday pod. We're getting Thursday pod up late. Stuff keeps happening. We'll talk about something. We hope you'll join us for Nathan Baird and Stephen Means. I'm Doug Maurice. and that was Buckeye Talk.